Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School. The school welcomes artists from around the world to join the five-day virtual intercession drawing marathon entitled Drawing on Your Past the Mind's Eye with Graham Nixon and Guests. It's held from Thursday, March 23rd to Monday, March 27th. It's rigorous and immersive. The Studio School's legendary marathons present an extensive range of art-making strategies, comprehensive critiques, and inspirational discussions. Expansive first-hand discoveries in marathons propel artists to relate to drawing, painting, and sculpture as direct methodologies for understanding their experience in the world, the profound impact of which continues far beyond each marathon's conclusion. Visit nyss.org to apply today. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden Artist Colors makes the best acrylics, Williamsburg oils, and core watercolors. And you can find them in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum makes amazing coffee. You can head over to their website at fulcrumcoffee.com and check out their subscriptions. They have an amazing variety that you could choose from and have coffee delivered to your house every month. Everything from light roast subscription to espresso to all brands, single origin. They even have a sunset subscription, a jazz alley night subscription. It's a really cool curated coffee experience that can be delivered to your door. And you can get a discount by adding the code ALFREDSTUDIO whenever you check out from the website. Fulcrum Coffee Roasters from Seattle, check them out. Celeste Rapone received her BFA from the Rhode Island School of Design in 2007 and her MFA from the School of Art Institute of Chicago in 2013, where she's an adjunct professor in painting and drawing. Celeste's work has been exhibited widely across the U.S. and abroad at Josh Lilly Gallery in London, Marion Bosky Gallery in New York, Corbett vs. Dempsey in Chicago, Roberts Projects in L.A., Julius Caesar in Chicago, the Hyde Park Art Center in Chicago, the Georgia Museum of Art, and the Institute of Contemporary Art in Boston. Celeste was the 2018 recipient of a Paula Krasner Foundation grant. Her upcoming solo exhibition, House Sounds, opens at Josh Lilly Gallery on March 23, 2023, and her work will be included in the Bemis Center's upcoming exhibition, Presence in the Pause, Interiority and its Radical Eminence, opening May 20th. She lives and works in Chicago, Illinois, and is represented by Corbett vs. Dempsey in Chicago, Marion Bosky Gallery in New York, and Josh Lilly in London. I spoke with Celeste about Jersey and Chicago, illustration to painting, focus in a studio, watching football, and much more. Here's our conversation. I haven't been behind the wheel of a car in about uh, 18 years. So, yeah. Yeah. Up until today? uh, I'm sorry? Like up until today? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And so I, uh, but I mean, biking is my form of transportation here. And, I mean, it has been for, for years. Um, but when I was reverse commuting in New York, I just took like three trains. Um, oh, right. The path. Yeah. Yes. Oh, no, the, um, oh God, this was so many years ago. The, the G, because I lived off the G in Clinton Hill to, uh, the L? No, to the ACE, to Penn Station. And then I would get on the train at Penn Station. Oh, right, right. Montclair. So, um, yeah, I was like two hours. Both so, wait, like, you, you taught at Montclair? I uh, no, no, that was pre, that was post undergrad, pre grad. Um, <clears throat> I was actually working for an event design firm doing like color. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, that was like a brief period when I was kind of trying to figure out what to do, <laughs> what to do with my life with <laughs> right. an illustration degree. <laughs> yeah. Those, those times. Uh, yeah, no, I, I've, you know, I did like a guest, it was a long time ago, like a visiting critic thing at Montclair University. So when I hear Montclair, I think of the museum or the, the Oh school. yeah, so. sure. You know, it's a, it's a great museum. I actually, I think I was an intern at that museum one summer while I uh, was in undergrad. I, I, I had something to do with that museum at some point, but I don't know that all early twenties feel like such a blur. Yeah, definitely. That, it, no memories of that. So, yeah. but, but you, <laughs> you grew up in Jersey, right? I did. I grew up in Wayne, uh, which isn't far from Montclair. You know, uh, it's a, it's in North Jersey. Um, yeah, you're, yeah, I, I bought my last, not my current car, but my last car in Wayne, New Jersey. So. Oh, you're kidding. No, because whenever I saw that you, there somewhere online, it was referenced that you grew up in North Jersey. And North Jersey can be, that's like a wide swath of the state. You know what it, I mean? It is. So uh, I tried to dig and see if I could get, so I'm Googling you for like high school. I'm trying to figure out. Oh, where no, don't Jersey. do that. <laughs> don't worry. You're clean. <laughs> I see a lot of old cheerleading pictures that like look like they could show up on Dateline. Couldn't find it. You're safe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, though North Jersey is so different than South Jersey. I think that, you know, it, it sort of um, acknowledges itself as a distinction, even though there's these little sort of like different ecosystems within North Jersey. Um, but Wayne, I, I was born in Glen Ridge, but raised in Wayne. So that's where I spent, um, you know, my whole upbringing pretty much. Was mom or dad a car salesman, perhaps? No, they oh. were not. They were not. Um, <laughs> I joke, but Wayne has a ton of car dealerships. Ton of car dealerships, a ton of tanning salons. Um, Fountains of Wayne is there, which, um, you know, there was a band named after. And I was going to say, you mean the guys in the band are just there? <laughs> they, <laughs> they just hang out? <laughs> they play, they have a weekly we gig? find out, yeah, later on that they all, they were all just working there. Um, but yeah, there's not, there's not a whole lot to do in Wayne. I mean, it's just, <clears throat> you know, typical suburb of New York uh not really a downtown not really much to do but um yeah <laughs> well were your parents what did they do were they creative at all um my mom um my mom was a nurse a uh, school nurse mm -hmm. and uh my father was they both still live in jersey my father was a lawyer okay uh, so That's creativity there <laughs> <laughs> In, in an aspect, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, my mom, my mom is an identical twin. 
Um, oh, nice. So, and they are like to this day, you know, people can't tell them apart. Um, yeah. Even though they're, you know, in their early seventies now, still dress the same. <laughs> Isn't it a I weird mean, phenomenon of twins? You know, and people ask me, "What's it like having, you know, an identical twin as an aunt?" And I, like, I don't know it any other way, you know. So I feel like I have sort of two moms. Um, but yeah, they shop at the same stores. Their style is a little different. My mom's a bit more glam. My aunt is, you know, a bit more low maintenance. It's a but, school nurse thing. She wants to, you know, she wants to step it up a notch. Oh yeah. When she goes out, she goes out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, but my mom is a phenomenal drawer. Um, t- technically, you know, she, I used to, as a kid, love going through all of her old, you know, graphite drawings she would make of mostly, you know, celebrities and all very 70s um, icons. But this really was great. just like a hobby. To- yep, totally. Um, and they're beautiful and kind of stylized, but um, really but fantastic. She learned at some point, right? Or was she completely self-taught? I think she just kind of picked it up herself. Um, and then my aunt has no, uh, real technical ability in drawing, but she knows (laughs) no real talent. (laughs) Um, but her, my aunt's sense of color is incredible. Oh, Um, Whereas my mom doesn't understand the difference between warm and cool temperature. And every time I go home to Jersey, I have to like berate some interior decorating decision she's made. Oh, wow. I was about to say. Well, you know, graphite and charcoal takes care of that business, but I guess right. if she's doing interior decorating. Is she, so that is like a job. Uh, oh no, just for just her, her own stuff. She doesn't do it for anyone else. Oh no, God forbid. <laughs> hey, I've, I grew up and a, a friend of mine, um, her mother was an interior like the family was really wealthy they lived on the other side of the tracks and the mom was an interior designer but out of like not necessity like they were loaded so uh, she just did it because she loved it and their house like every different room was like a really bright it was just awful (laughs) yeah yeah I mean it's like my so my husband and I just moved into our first house like congratulations new house new phone who's this I know (laughs) The big six months for me. Um, so, and it's it's really interesting, you know, sort of designing. I mean, I've I've developed a legit, you know, online shopping addiction. Um, sure. And, was that know, COVID enabled? Did that douse um, fuel on the fire or was that separate? I would say so. You know, we had a condo here um, for eight years and then, uh, you know, COVID hit and... Um, changed nothing for me really right because yeah. i still went to studio every day and didn't see a soul right. um and but my husband started working from home and well that's um, a change that's a change we were able to sort of maneuver that but i think he was having a harder time working from home and dealing with the fact that all the neighbors were also working from home oh wow so i would come home from studio and just like see him with his like you know, ear against the wall, like, I think they're, I think they're doing construction next door. And it's like, okay, we need to do something. You're, yeah, you're way you're too, yeah, way too uh, and accidentally involved with what's going yeah. on around you. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> so we sort of made a choice to just see kind of, you know, what, what to do. And we obviously chose to do this at the time where everybody else seemed to want right. to make this change. So um, yeah, what it was a, there was a phenomenon about people not wanting to be stacked on top of each other during a <laughs> time when they can't move or go Imagine anywhere. Imagine that. Yeah. I made it through. I, I weathered the storm. I stayed in our, you know, our apartment building and never, I wanted to be out upstate or somewhere with green grass, but just hunkered down and took one for the New York team, I think. Yeah. And I think I would have probably been in the same boat I mean, um, it, it, my husband's a few years older than me and we sort of joke that like there are certain things that his age makes him ready for before I am. Like I wasn't ready to go yet, but he, oh, yeah. like, you know, he's now in his forties and is like, no, I'm done here. <laughs> so <laughs> right. uh, ready for that next chapter. Yeah. Yeah. definitely. Well, that's the thing, like city life, just, you know, at a certain age, I feel like even if you stay, your part of your mind is like, um, I've had enough of this, you know, like I'm too old to be in this situation. Cause then younger people start to move in and you're like, am I the guy, you know, it's just. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel, I feel a little like that's how it was at our condo. Like I, we started to feel like two of the oldest people in the building, but I mean, we stayed in the city. Um, we, we have a little house in, in the city proper and that was pretty important to us. Like I, I really didn't want to move out to the suburbs because, um, you've had enough of that in Wayne. I've had enough of that in Wayne. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, to go back to Wayne, did you, sure. um, like growing up, I mean, Jersey, I don't know, Jersey, it, well, I know it tangentially just through family, but I mean, was it, was sports big was, you know, high school Jersey high school experience, suburban, you know, were, were you a artistic person in high school or were you, did you kind of like, was it under the radar? So I, I was not really a sports person. I mean, I did dance, cheerleading, competitive cheerleading. That um, I think counts. Yeah. <laughs> in yeah. a way. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I dabbled, you know, I did it mostly for social reasons because that's what my friends all right. did. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you know, when you don't really, you don't have a ton of confidence and you're not really sure what you want to do. It's really helpful to be part of a sport where everyone looks the exact same and does the exact same choreography right. and you can sort of just blend in. Um, yeah. Levels of playing field a bit. Totally. You can just kind of like socially engage without being you know, kind of the opposite of being an artist. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't really like attention. So that always, that kind of satisfied that as well. Um, my brother is the athlete. He, I have an older brother and it was like football and wrestling and track. And he was sort of the, the big, the big athlete, um, which was nice because I think he satisfied that, you know, for my parents so that when it was, time for me to sort of express interests there was a lot more sort of sure whatever you want to do um because they sort of had that um through him yeah um, and so i mean i loved to draw even when i was a kid um loved it and um i mean my mom would recall you know these like intricate things that i would do at, like you know maybe like third or fourth grade where i would like set up her ironing board and put these like really intricate still lifes together. 
um, and then, you know, try to try to draw them and muster the dimensionality of, uh, you know, the folded clothing and stuff. And so um, I think I was always interested in solving problems as opposed to just, you know, free right. drawing. Um, and so I think that really continued um, through junior high, high school. <clears throat> I, uh, I, oh, I, I never really thought about art school as an option, I don't think, until I, um, maybe when I was in junior high or so, um, one of my dad's clients was a professor at Parsons. And he oh, okay. There's invited, the inside track. Yeah, yeah. Well, he invited me as a way to like thank my dad for doing work. He invited me, I was, I don't know, in like seventh grade, maybe I was like 11, <clears throat> to come sit in on a class. Mm -hmm. uh, figure drawing oh, so you class. didn't even just get the tour of the hallway. You got. Oh no, I got to you sit right in that class. Nice. Um, and so I imagine now, <laughs> having been through that and being a teacher, like I'm sure the students were thrilled with like right. token, really overly dressed up in art clothing, uh, eleven year old <laughs> being part of their <laughs> group for the day. But um, I just, it was wild to me, you know, yeah. um, people do this for school, you know, um, it, it was amazing. And they just knew what to do. I mean, the model got up there and they just started drawing and he would walk around and, you know, oh, it, this was, it was figure drawing class. Yeah. Mm -hmm. like, it was a figure drawing class. So it was nude figure drawing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which I, I don't think, uh, my parents assumed would have been the case. Um, oh, yeah. I, I mean, my I grew up in a really strict Italian Catholic situation. Um, Sounds so, fun. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there's and so much. The to younger, from the that. younger daughter of of you know the sporty kid in that situation. Oh, yeah, I can imagine that was totally tough. So um, yeah, but I think I think from then it sort of stuck with me that that was an option because even though we lived right out in Manhattan, you know, you were like 20 minutes out of the Lincoln Tunnel. We never went to New York. Um, I mean, maybe if my mom wanted to see a Broadway play once in a blue moon. You Isn't know. that funny? You're so close, but yeah. it, you can be, I mean, that's like growing up. I grew up in Pittsburgh on the South side. Okay. And like, you know, you, and not until high school, maybe when I started hanging out with some people, I would meet people from other schools and stuff. You know, there were sections of town that were like 10 minutes away. I didn't even know they existed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's 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 wild to think that it was right there all that time, and you, know. you can see it from where you are. <laughs> yes, you can, There's I like mean, buildings. It's like a it's not a mirage. It's there. Well, I mean, my father grew up in Weehawken, which the yeah. the football field is right there on top of the Lincoln Tunnel that he played. I mean, he was right there, and then I think just had this idea that you know he, him and his buddies used to go in in the seventies, and it was a different time, and I think that's the New York he still thinks of it as. Oh, and yeah. Frozen even, in time. Totally. We can't um, go to Times Square, honey. It's too, it's too dangerous. <laughs> yeah. And, I can and, imagine. I can imagine. You know, I mean, and so, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to say that happened to me. Like it froze. Like I'm Pittsburgh kind of froze the way it is. You think of it as, you know, how it is. So mm -hmm. they were just being protective probably. Oh, definitely. And he'll go in now, you know, when I have shows and openings, like um, he came in for the last show that I had there, which was last May. And um, 
you know, like I, I think is still sort of in disbelief of what it <clears throat> actually is now, you know, because yeah. it was Chelsea and it's like, oh, he's like, was so taxi. Crazy. It was just all garages and like, you know, drug dealers and yeah. I'm sure his like, garages. Yeah. Just different, different merch inside. Yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. Um, so, so you got exposed to the art school experience and then you thought, oh, maybe I'll look into art schools. Because okay. I did notice that you happened to, you frequented art schools for your education. You didn't I did. Go, I did. I was, in, I was an art school um, uh, goer. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, yeah, I did my undergrad at RISD and then um, took off a couple of years and then went back to SAIC. Uh, School of the Art Institute Chicago for uh, grad school. All right, let's get into this. So, so you didn't go to New York City. You went to RISD. What was yeah. that? Like, how did that happen? Because you would think, you know, you have SVA, you have Pratt, you have Parsons, blah, blah, blah. You know, you have all these right. places, but you, you, you felt like the weather wasn't quite cold enough. You wanted to go <laughs> up 95. You enjoyed the 95 commute and, or maybe was it getting away from your parents and like, being somewhere else? Were- quite offensive enough in the, in the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um yeah I wanted to go further yeah that was it really I actually really enjoyed SVA um and it was just something that I seriously considered but I just thought you know if I go here I'm just gonna end up seeing my friends from high school every weekend and yeah. you know, I'm just too close to home and I wanted something really different and I knew I wanted to stay in the northeast I mean I'm a northeastern gal at heart um, I still feel like a, a strange transplant in Chicago sometimes. Yeah, you're really, you've, you've, you dug in though. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. With the house now too. It's, it's a lot. Um, Again, with the weather, clearly you have some sort of like reverse engineering on weather desire. <laughs> it's like, well, you- <laughs> I need, I need some lake effect breeze yeah. on top of my blizzard. Right. Definitely. Um, it's Do you like cold easy. weather though? <laughs> yeah. No, I hate it. Um, my husband is from Rochester, so he is very into the cold weather. Uh, habitat, it. yeah. Totally. Um, but it, it's not mine. But studio-wise, I mean, even though, you know, this particular shade of Chicago gray we have today takes over, you know, like blankets the city for like three min- months straight, there's no better time to be in the studio. I oh, mean, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you have, you know... If you have like a uh, a studio in the Bahamas or something, how do you work? I don't know. Yeah, you know? I don't know. I'd be so distracted. Whenever I went to um, graduate school, you know, I chose Connecticut over Chicago because all my friends were moving to Chicago to play music or they were already there in bands and, and some were in art schools. And I thought, if I go there, I'm just going to be in a band and never make art. And, and just hang it, out. I'm just going to know all these people I already know. I want to go somewhere where I'm going to feel challenged. Yeah. So I went to Connecticut and joined a band. <laughs> Backfired. <laughs> Which is just proof that we're always going to do what we're going to do. Anyway. Exactly. Exactly. You can try to take someone out of something, but they're always going to do that thing. You know, it's just, totally. it's like... Um, but yeah, so, so you went to Rhode Island. Did you have, in what years was this roughly? You don't have to go into specific. 2003 to 2007. Okay. Yeah. And then did you, I mean, was it good for you? Was, did you enjoy it? I, I loved RISD. I mean, also it was just undergrad, so it was just a blast and I met 
awesome people. And I still have a really big community there. Yeah. Um, my room. And you went for, sorry to interrupt. You went no, for illustration, right? I, I didn't go. I mean, I decided at RISD, you have to declare your major like when once you're there for about a week. So <laughs> they give you a nice, they really want you to marinate in the culture before you definitely. choose. It's like you got seven days. Yeah. <laughs> That's and the rest of your life. Totally. Yeah. To make that choice. Right. So, um, uh, and then once you're in your major, it's like very hard to be out of it. Like I couldn't even take a class in the painting department when I was there because wow, it was that's so hard. Siloed cross departments. Yeah, it was really, it was very intense. But I think, you know, what I think um, I grew up with so much sort of rigor and discipline and um, intensity that I think it just kind of was a normal, organic, you know, step for me to go to school somewhere where it was kind of like that. Rhode Island uh, School of Catholic Art. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's catechism, like every Saturday, you get, you bring your drawings in. <laughs> um, Again, you, you, you gravitate towards what you're, what you're used to, or, you know, what's comfortable yeah, out of like, like habit. what feels natural. Right. Yes. And all it really did was make my, like, you know, a totally unhealthy sense of self-discipline, like much worse. Of course. Oh boy. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And so it was, I mean, I really enjoyed, I chose to be an illustration because I didn't know how to do anything but draw. Right. Um, I didn't know how to paint. I'd never really, I'd never painted before. And I thought to be in painting, you had to know how to oil paint. So, and I didn't really do anything uh, <clears throat> three-dimensional. So it just seemed like the appropriate major. It's the largest major there. So I think it's a yeah. lot of people who just have a specific skill set, but don't know what else to do. Even though I never really intended on being an illustrator, I just thought I right. could build skills in that department, which is really what I did. I mean, my favorite classes in college were my painting classes that I took within that department. So a lot right. of um, portrait painting, figure painting. I mean, I probably pull from that uh, skill set and education much more now than I did for a lot of years. Isn't it funny uh, that I feel like it's so useful for today? Well, well, that's. Not, I would imagine that it could be very useful for today's way of working because the way you know images are thought about today, there's so much influx from different genres and yeah. influence from different areas. And from what I've known of. Um, of of illustration people who've gone to school for illustration is they get a lot in their toolbox like they can work a lot i mean look at robin williams you know like i talked to her she she went to you know she got her undergrad in illustration and she, she was uses, a year ahead of me there oh right yeah, yeah she yeah. uses all that stuff in the work totally like she is so good and yeah you know in painting painting too. you might not learn nearly as much as that am i making a case for the the dissolving of painting programs everywhere and just going into illustration <laughs> you know what i think is great about illustration as a department is there's no pressure i mean 
you could do anything and there's sort of no judgment and no competition. I mean, I had friends in that department doing like children's book illustration. Right. I had friends doing video game design. And then I had friends who were like painters, painter, whatever that means, you know? So um, I think it, it sort of takes all these things into consideration. It was a really sort of non-competitive environment, which I sort of feel like other painting departments can be. Um, so right. there's, and I do not thrive in competitive environments at all. So I think that um, for me, it just was a, a really good fit until I left and realized like, shit, I probably was in the wrong department. No, I think you did just fine. Again, and that, that bridges well with the cheerleading. It's like not really competitive. Well, maybe it's competitive socially or something, but I mean, it, you know, it's not like, you know, you're the running back trying to get the ball into the end zone or totally. something, you know? running yeah. people over. Right. Which I think I really would have done extremely well at. So it's really unfortunate that I never really gave that a chance. I'm a right. big football fan and my husband's always like, you would have made a great linebacker. And I was like, <laughs> well, there's time. <laughs> there's time. <laughs> Who was your team? The Giants? No, God, no. I was not a New York team gal. Oh, Jets? Um, Wait, well, New York Jets. No, I... um. As a kid, I was a Raiders fan. Random. The fans were so insane. Oh um, yeah. Well, I, you could have been Cleveland too. Yeah. That, if that's the metric. Yeah. Well, you went. You you did a good job picking. Uh, yeah. The Raiders as opposed. They, they were they were they were good. You know, this is it would have been back in like the late '80s, early '90s, and then when I'm I mean I'm still a a pretty avid Pats fan. Um, that's uh, we're, all right. This is podcast is over. Hold on. How do I stop this? <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, I'm a Steelers fan. I mean, I was born uh, in Pittsburgh. There's no choice. And it's funny because a lot of people who go away from their home team go to the Steelers for some reason. Because they, you know, they were really big in the 70s and 80s. They, people think they're cool. but They are um, cool. The, the Steelers are really cool. And, you know, it's so easy to hate the Pats. Um, well, I get it. I yeah. get it. You I know? mean, but, you know, Belichick is like, that guy, hard to get behind. Yeah. What I a grump. I know. I know. I, I know all of these things. I've actually recently, I can't get the Pats games uh, here in Chicago. So a friend of mine that still lives in Providence, um, sort of, I, I learned this year about a radio broadcast uh, of the Pats games I could yeah. listen to. And it's been a revelation. I mean, it's, it's hilarious. Um, but it's now my new, I've never listened to games in studio before. So it's, oh, it's fun, right? Yeah. Like it's just fun, listening and not watching. Yeah. It's fun. It's great. I used to do that with the post nine 11 in the studio. I binged news for years. I feel like it was like two years or something. And then I was like, I got to stop this. This is bumming me out. So I went to Yankee games on the radio. Oh, and they are so fun to listen to when you're working because it's long, you know, there's a rhythm to it, but every once in a while there's a burst of action. It's kind of Yeah, definitely. And and I which I feel like is how painting can be in the studio. So it sort of exactly. that energy a little yeah. bit. Yeah. A little tedious, a little boring at times, long, repetitive, <laughs> then moments. And then a moment. Exhilaration. Yep. <laughs> Do, and then oh, yeah. that might be a little dramatic. Um so so when you, so you had a good experience in illustration, but then you thought, oh shoot, I should have, maybe I should have done painting. So is this where grad school comes in? Well, I. You took time. 
I did. And I think the thing that made me think about painting, I knew nothing about painting at all, but I didn't know what to do after I graduated. So I, um, I did a residency at SVA the summer after I graduated and it was right. in a painting department. It was a painting summer residency and it was just, couldn't have been more different than my experiences. Um, the conversations were totally different. The way we looked at work was totally different, you know? Um, and I was like, wow, this is a really interesting and really different conversation that I think I kind of am interested in learning more about and pursuing. And, you know, I have students ask me a lot, like, well, what's the difference between illustration and painting? Um, and, you know, I think having been in both of those worlds, I always sort of, they always assume it's a material choice or a stylistic decision. And yeah. um, I always tell them it, it's much more about like speed and clarity of communication, you know, and how, right. what, what the role of, you know, communication, what that role plays in the work. You know, exactly, illustration, yeah. we used to have a three second rule at RISD. If you didn't get the illustration, if you didn't know exactly what it was saying in three seconds, then it failed as an illustration. Well, wow, they're really into tight deadlines. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. It was like, how are you even going to know if you were good at painting if you only had seven days to like figure it out? I like, know. I guess I'll go with the drawing thingy. I know. I have experience I in that. I have great experience drawing, like, you know, celebrities from magazines and still lives on ironing boards. So I'm going to just choose to do that now for the rest of my life. Um, Listen, I, I, this is a good new metric. I think every painting should be viewed and understood in three seconds. That's yeah. like the Instagram rule. It's like, as soon as yeah. your finger scrolls, you have three seconds to get that thing before you scroll to the next one. Well, isn't it interesting how it's sort of become it that is, yeah. sort of what it's become? Um, I was a late Instagram convert. I, I never really had social media. I didn't do Facebook or anything like that. Um, I don't do Twitter. I'm not, you know, it's just kind of not my, not my space. But, Only your TikTok, um, right? Yeah. Dancing I wish I could figure it out. I mean, I would definitely do that if I could figure it out. I'm really old and irrelevant to figure out how to use TikTok. So, I mean, my, my TA started my Instagram account for me because I'm just so, um, you know, I don't, I don't know anything about any of that world. And so, but I was very, I was very unsure. And I decided that um, for six months, every studio visit I had, whoever the visit was with, I would ask them if they thought I should have an Instagram. And then I would sort of just at the end, see which way the tally swung. And every single person said yes. Wow, um, you American idoled your choice of social yeah. media. <laughs> <laughs> no surprise, everyone said yes. Yep. Everyone said yes. And I was like, all right, maybe I should do this. So, um, I necessary asked evil. Yeah. And, and it's like having a know, resume online or something or a website. It's it, it. I mean, I still have a website for like, I don't know, nostalgic reasons. Like I took a website building class in college. Like shouldn't I have my website? You know, I think yeah, it's yeah, for sure. there in my head, even though I, I probably don't need it by now, but you know, an Instagram, which I'm sure, uh, everyone has said like has its pluses and its minuses yeah. um yeah i make pretty i can make pretty big paintings so it's really weird to see a really big painting like show up two inches 
stamp size. Yeah, yeah. Um, and same with surface. I mean, I'm such a surface junkie. You know, I'm all like, and and so, and my work can reproduce very uh, image forward. You know, and and so I think that that's also just a byproduct of things being reproduced on Instagram. So. Yeah. Um, but it's also a great platform for, I mean, I've met a ton of other artists on Instagram. Like it's great for networking and communicating with people. Yeah, definitely. It's funny. I was thinking about, you know, when you were saying, well, how do I, how I communicate the difference between illustration and painting to these students. And it's like, you know, that, that idea of three seconds to get the image and being like, oh my God, like that's so crazy. Three seconds to understand what this is for. But it, it makes sense because that is just a model for consumerism. Basically, you have to capture the mind of the consumer in that quickly. And painting used to just, you know, be so antithetical. We we don't talk about that. We don't teach that. It's just the authenticity of the image. It's about communicating an idea. It's not about selling work or any of that stuff. But nowadays, it's so much like with Instagram and, you know, the way things are, it's so integrated, like young artists aren't so worried about that separation of church and state, you know what I mean? No. It's just like, and it's harder to ignore that separation of church and state when you spend, you know, six years in college and you come out with $200,000 debt and you're like, I got to sell something here or yeah. I'm going to, you know, so it's like now it's, it's baked into uh, for better, or for worse, it's, it's more baked into the process of like thinking about, like your audience and capturing someone's attention. Like if people are scrolling really quickly, it's like, well, I got to make something that's going to, I mean, I don't know. I'm older than I, I, you know, came up before the internet. So I don't I ever think, oh, I got to make an image that's going to grab someone's attention other than I want to make an image that's really interesting that when people see it, you know, the speed quotient is not there for me, but now I think it's, that's a real pressure you know, and that has a big effect on how people make their work, I think. Oh, no question. Absolutely. I mean, I, uh, I think I knew that you're a teacher. Well, yeah, because you just I do teach. It. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. Um, I mean, it, it's definitely something that I've noticed in the students. I mean, I've been teaching for about 10 years now. So it's something that I've, I've noticed like much more recently than before. Sort of like, you know, how this is going to look on Instagram or students posting unfinished work on Instagram, you know, it'll be a painting. I know they're in the process of making that they're posting and then getting feedback on. And it's like, right. whoa, that, the idea of that is, you know, would never even uh, cross, would have crossed my mind when I was an undergrad, you know, I would have been Isn't like crazy? in the dark in my little cubicle, sort of like nobody can see it until it's done. Um, you know, what's even crazier that the same metric applies to getting dressed in the morning. Like, yeah, I never would have thought that, you know, anyone ever thought about how this is going to come off before I put all my clothes on. <laughs> but now there's just like people getting dressed on Instagram or like, you know, or, or I'm, I joke, that's the far end of the spectrum. But I mean, you know, people like young people too have to think about like image or they don't have to, but, you know, we would think about, or I should speak for myself, you know, you think about like, going out once every year and a half to an opening your opening and like oh what should i what should i look like you know what should i wear should i wear like yep. sweater that was it basically yeah. Yeah. now it's like how much of me in front of my painting how much you know all that stuff it's it's a different thing yeah know? and i guess it also has to do with 
having a type of personality where you would even want yourself photographed and <laughs> But I think it was always there, don't you? Like Basquiat was an, he had an image and the work yeah. had an image and that was part of it. Like Warhol, of course, was the forerunner. You know, it, it's always been about the personality and the people too, but it, maybe it was just happened more in like inner circles and behind closed doors or with dealers or collectors or whatever. And now it's just played right. out to everyone. And yeah, and because I think in that generation of artists too, it was also because there was, I don't know, that social interaction that you had with someone. So you had right. access to their personality as well as their look, you know, as opposed yeah. to Instagram. It's just, it's just images. Um, totally, yeah. So, uh, you know, maybe because I just, I, I don't know, I don't find myself very interesting as a person, <laughs> to, to, you know. Uh, you and me both. I, visually, I yeah. Same I mean, that was Warhol's thing, right? I'm not, although he was, but he's like, I'm not interesting. I'm just reflecting the world. Like it's about other stuff out there is way more interesting than me. But now it's literally like a mirror looking at yourself, you know? Yeah. Back then though, when you go to the studio, it's over. Like it, that's, that part is done. Like you go to the studio, there's no interface anymore. You know what I mean? You just focus yeah. on the work. Of course. So yeah. That's cool. And I mean, I'm also, that, I mean, that's also how I am as a, as a studio creature, like I am not, there is no like social anything that yeah. enters the studio. When I'm in the studio, it's just football. It's just, it's just <laughs> Patriots. <laughs> and then a first lot of, downs and field goals. <laughs> and then a lot of quiet between, you know, mid from mid February to late August. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the meditation zone, the off season. <laughs> Um, yeah. And so, I, but I've always been like that. I mean, I was never, even in grad school, I was never someone who would like bop around studio. Just I, I'm just, I've never been a, you know, studio is work. Um, yeah. I, I can't, you know, I don't want any distractions. Um, it's so, yes. Yeah, so, so that's, so I also think that's just part of my personality to be very, um, introverted as an artist, right. and not, focus. not, yeah, really like, um, feel the need to bring studio life out into the world. Well, to time that into the timeline, when I visited the Art Institute of Chicago for grad school, I was like, the one thing I thought, well, I, you know, I love Chicago. What a great city, music, like, it's just such a great place. Weather aside, and museums and all that stuff, but there were so many studio, there were so many people there. Yeah. So, uh, well, maybe in that sense, you were able to sort of disappear a little bit. Like you didn't have to be the person, like if it's a grad program with like five grad students in painting, it's the you show every day. Yeah, you know? yeah. definitely. Um, I mean, I, I really liked essay. What I liked about SAIC when I came to visit was how different it was than RISD. It was yeah. like, you could do anything. It was, there were no, even if you were in painting, you could do anything. It was right. very sort of interdisciplinary. Not siloed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And this, was this when you first started painting, painting, painting? I, I mean, I, tr <laughs> I tried to paint, you know, I lived in, I was living in New York. So I moved to New York after I was in Rhode Island and I, I painted in my apartment and worked a job. I was living in Clinton Hill over a dog kennel and <laughs> I, um, was trying to see if I could figure out how to make paintings. And I didn't know any contemporary painters. Um, 
because we didn't talk about contemporary painters in the illustration department. I didn't know anybody, you know, so I would take myself to galleries around the city and try to on my own sort of educate myself. But I didn't know galleries. I didn't know what galleries to go to. Um, you know, what I know- year is this? It'd be like 2009, 2010, like right after uh, under- Yeah, right after it's I not different. that long ago, considering no. all you've accomplished here. So just putting that into perspective. Okay, so you're doing crash course by yeah. just going around basically. Giant. And um, I was making paintings um, and I used those paintings I was making. Maybe I took about like two years off or so. And I, a couple years, I, I don't, I, the, you know, well, I went back to grad school in 2011. So okay. um, I made paintings while I was living in New York and I used those paintings to apply to grad school. Nice. Um, and then, but I, and I really liked the vibe at SAIC. Um, I had never lived in Chicago. I, you know, had a boyfriend at the time who I was going to be, who's my now husband, who I was going to be dragging along with me. And so, you know, we sort of had a conversation that was like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to try to go to grad school. I would very much like if you would come with me. So like, okay, we can compromise by I'll apply to programs in cities. We'd be excited to live in. Yeah. Um, and Chicago, my husband's in the architecture field. So Chicago to him was like super. Oh, nice. Frank Lloyd Wright. Yeah. All that right. Stuff. Louis Sullivan. Right. So love Ms. Van der Rosso. Um, <clears throat> this was a, it was a great, it and it ended up being the program I was the most interested in of the everything I applied to so um it it just uh it was supposed to be two years and out and back to New York and it's like 11 years later 10 11 wow. years later. yeah nice longer I think. so what was the work like when you first started there um stiff figurative uh all sourced from photography no. Your own or the internet? I'm sorry, uh, but both. Um, I did a lot. I actually did a lot of my own photographic setups, and then would would paint them, and then you know, borrow from the internet when I needed something. But um, it was still just very skill driven. Um, you know, I didn't really know how to think about content and what how to really sort of think about what I wanted to paint and why. And I also came. SAIC was not in a figurative moment when I was there. So I was, I felt very much like a fish out of water in terms of, you know, making these large figurative paintings. Um, and there was a lot of abstraction going on. Oh yeah. That's the zombie uh, formalism era, right? Yeah. And, and Cause you and, came just out of, when you were in New York, that was when that first crash hit, it was kind of like a market crash, I think around 2009 ish. Okay. It was not a, jumping scene for the art world you know what i mean like yeah, things were a little sure. drab and well then, it would make sense based on that timeline right yeah um, and but i mean i didn't really follow anything that was going on in the art world you know i just um but i i sort of got there and i felt like my work was so <laughs> unpopular amongst uh you know the the sort of cohort there everyone was great i mean i met awesome people there but in terms of work itself it just felt very um out of place and, and students and, though right because you got the harry who legacy and you got like figurative stuff in chicago's kind of you know when i look at your work I, I i it's not like i would be like oh this is a chicago artist necessarily but mm -hmm. 
knowing that you're in Chicago and that you went to school there, I don't, I, I feel like there's, there's a thread there that could connect some of that work, you know? Definitely. And, you know, I, I, I get asked about the images a lot and, you know, it's tough for me to put a, to know exactly how they may have inspired what I'm doing or had any kind of effect on what I'm doing, yeah. you know, but what I can say is that if I went to grad school somewhere else, I'd probably make, different paintings so yeah. you know um so it's tough to sort of you know nail down exactly what it is about them that I was able to pull from but um because I didn't know about them I mean we didn't that wasn't something that was really taught in the art history department at RISD at least not when I was there I didn't yeah. take those classes so no, it's very provincial like it's kind cool. of like unless you're in the art world for a while and like really digging I don't think the Chicago images are something that people are trumpeting you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. kind of like a subgenre. It's it's like this cool thing to like find. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. But Which when you're in Chicago, Chicago, what's that? It just also right. Doesn't that also just seem very Chicago? It's so Chicagoy, <laughs> and and you know, it's yeah, it's just. Um, but it's it's the kind of thing too. It's like, well, if you go to Philly, someone's gonna ask you about cheesesteaks. It's like if you're making art in Chicago, you're gonna get. It's just by default, you know. If you're doing performance in L.A., someone will say Chris Burden. It's just yeah. like, you know, it's gonna come up. Oh, you must like blah blah blah. Yeah. No. And and I think you know what I noticed about being part of that program for so many years, both as a student and now teaching, is there seems to be like a pendulum about you know sort of the em em embracing imagists. Um, you know, I felt like when I was there, there was a lot of pushback. I remember being at a critique. Um, I don't remember whose work was getting critiqued. And one of the comments was that his work really looked like Chicago art. And this student <laughs> said that it was, that was the worst thing somebody could have said to him. Um, and so I think when I was a student there, it was in a, in a, in a big pushback moment. Right. And I think now, because of, I mean, figurative painting has just exploded in the last however many years and it's everywhere. I think it's become a much, it's, it's getting much more embraced, I think. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think it's, it had that. It's funny because it's like, it, everything has its moments. It's all being done. People are making figurative and people are making formal, you know, process based abstract stuff now too. It's just when it catches a certain amount of momentum in the people who are like writing about it or covering it or, yeah. you know what I mean? Or when you have someone who's really good at a way of making, it happens in music all the time. You have a really good band and then it spawns like 5,000 people who are inspired by that band. So there's yeah. like this momentum that happens from the wake of that, you know? And I think that happens in painting. Like when Dana shots blew up, I mean, because her work is was so different and yeah. so dynamic. I mean, there's people, there's still people making work that's indebted to that exploration she was no doing. No question. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I, you know, same with Nicole Eisenman, I think. Yeah, totally. Uh, uh, so uh, uh, no question. But, you know, I was lucky that even though I went to school at a time, or I went to grad school at a time where the kind of work I was making wasn't really sort of in fashion or wasn't really very popular. I had great advisors that never really, um, you know, expected me to change what I was doing or, you know, they would ask a lot of questions and those questions um, 
you know, they, they stick with you. I felt like the whole two years you're in grad school, it's like a whirlwind and all the feedback that you get, you actually don't process until afterwards. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It's so unnatural, you know, but I had advisors that, you know, uh, were really supportive of me pursuing figuration and just wanted maybe me to have a bit more clarity about why I was doing it and what I was doing with it. Um, Susanna Coffey was one and she was just, you know, she, we would have these great conversations about, you know, Joan Semmel and Maria Lasnik and Lee Lozano and, you know, and all these great, you know, female figurative painters who um, I, I didn't really know about before, you know, and so uh, that really opened up a whole world to me um, of figurative painting that I really had, I, I didn't know anything about at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that influence kind of like, like you said, you get exposed to all this stuff and then years later it might seep into your sort of creative, um, investigation mind, you know, of like, Oh, I can pull back to like this or that, you know, yeah. cause we're kind of all part of it. I mean, I was just teaching, I teach digital painting and, and regular painting and in the digital painting class, we were talking about AI generated art and, you know, there's, there's a real kind of like people are, either like into it or just like blanket like oh I love this stuff it's really cool mm -hmm. and then people really freaked out about it and there was that New Yorker article about an artist suing AI because pieces of her work was in the AI because it's just an aggregate search you know what I mean okay. mm -hmm. but this idea I mean AI we're all doing that as artists we have a cloud of stuff that we've seen and like the history of art and stuff we're into and we kind of throw that all in the blender. But the only thing about humans is we throw in our experience. Yeah. Whereas sure. AI just throws in keywords. So that's where we win as artists. Or that's where you can never recreate the experience of like someone's own journey. You know? Right. D definitely. Yeah. I feel it's like totally singular. So you, you know, you had this experience, you know, with illustration and building up these different techniques and a different kind of like mindset of what you're creating and the purpose of it and the pressure of doing that. And then you had this secondary experience of like reflecting on that and thinking like changing that up into like, well, now it's your authoritative voice and it's mm -hmm. you know, what is, why are you doing it? Which is, I think the hardest part of art is like <laughs> the blank canvas and being like, okay, what do I do? It's not doing it. You can figure out kind of how to do it. It's more of like, well, what am I saying? Is it interesting? Like why? You know? Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. And I, um, I got really sort of just stuck, uh, my second semester, first year, second semester. And I was just feeling really sort of like hopeless about painting. And I didn't even know why I was painting or what I was painting. Right. And I guess that this is the big thing that we go through in grad school and, or at least I did, it was my experience. So I actually took a semester in performance. Um, and I was like, okay, what is the one thing I could throw myself into that's the scariest thing I could imagine? Um, because if I, you know, work in another department with my, that, you know, has to do with something that I'm making with my hands, it's going to be like my paintings, but in sculptural form. So, um, and I, so I, I decided to just try performance and I was in a amazing seminar with uh, Roberto Cifuentes and it was, I mean, when your body is the thing, um, it's so, you're so vulnerable. Uh, that exposure is real. Um, and it was a 
I did two performances well in that class. Um, and uh, that sort of the, the terror and the exhilaration of that, those were feelings I was, I was, they were not synonymous with painting for me. Right. You know, yeah. that was not what I was getting from my painting practice. Well, it's performative. That's the thing about performance art. So it's like, I've been, I always draw parallels between music and art, you know, sure, of course, yeah. love and, you know, performing and, you know, being in bands and playing on stage. It's like, there's a creative act to music, but when you play it in front of people, totally different. It doesn't like openings don't count. You're not performing. You're just there right. like to sort of like mm -hmm. talk about the work after the fact, but there's a different kind of exhilaration. It is night and day yeah. from being an artist to being a musician or, or performing, I should performing, say. And right. that exhilaration is real. Like that is like a real resonance that you get with people that, you know, was this the time when you brought linebacker in and you started performing <laughs> as a linebacker in the <laughs> elevator of the art school? <laughs> I just pictured the art school building elevator opening and you're just there in full football gear. <laughs> screaming like at anybody people. that I just see. tackle them right out of the elevator. It feels very jackass. <laughs> yeah, um, it does actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't making, I wasn't doing anything very interesting. I was like, you know, sort of, um, I had a performance right sort of through like a dystopic dinner party. Um, trying to think of another one that I did and, and they weren't, I mean, it wasn't ever something that I thought I was going to pr pursue it was never, I didn't have that kind of interest in it. What I was interested in was sort of mining that, feeling in the yeah, studio yeah. you know it's like well I, yeah and, and it was sort of an acknowledgement of i'm never going to perform for people you know that's never going to really be what i do so how do i capture this feeling elsewhere and right. and i think then a lot of time was and has since then been spent chasing that feeling you know that extreme how do i in my, alone in my studio get that extreme range of embarrassment and fear and exhilaration. I mean, you know, um, and trying to find ways for painting to do that. For me. I, I don't look, I don't presume to have the answer for everything, but I think I have good advice on this one. I know how to do it. Just Instagram live while you're painting <laughs> in linebacker gear. See, <laughs> this is why we do these things. <laughs> I'm getting so many great ideas today. <laughs> Talk to your TA. All right, I got an idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Instagram. There's something we could do here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I know it, it's so, that's the real value of, you know, taking those courses outside or, or having those experiences outside that narrow lane, you know, of the one thing you're doing because you can have this other kind of, you know, I think that's a real gift to the work in a way. I don't know, maybe for people viewing it, but for the artist, because, you know, for years and years, I just, you know, I did the music thing and that was great, but it was like a separate thing. And then you're in the studio all the time. It's like a cave and you're just in there. And then, you know, you start to think about, well, how do I connect? You know, something like this where I'm talking to people was born out of like just wanting to connect in a different way. And I'm not the kind of person who hops around to openings and like, you know, that kind of chatting, you know what I mean? Or like, sure. you know, and then I started coaching soccer for kids and stuff. And like that kind of experience gives you more like life experience or something that you could bring back into the work in, in some non-direct way, I think. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, I, because that's, 
one of the reasons I really love being an artist in Chicago is because of sort of what a what a worker you can be. I mean, there's sort of you could just be underground for as long as you want, and yeah. maybe there's an opening once a month to go to. You right. know, um, it, it's very sort of unglam and un uh, not a lot of pressure. It's blue collar. Um, That's the thing. There's none of the well, not none. You know, it's 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 like I mean, I grew up in Pittsburgh. That's the same kind of vibe yeah, as Chicago. Sure. It's it's a blue collar town. People just don't care about the fluff as much. You know what I mean? Yeah. And all that crap. So you know, you can just do your thing there. I mean, yeah. the musicians that I knew who were there and recording, the most down to earth, you know, people. Like we recorded a record at Steve Albini's studio called Electrical Audio there, and you know, he recorded Nirvana and a bunch of. Mm-hmm. The, the dude was just so down to earth, you know what I mean? And he like had recorded, you know, he's like a legend, but um, that kind of temperament, you can just be there and do your thing. And it just feels like, you know, um, the, the lack of having to, to perform or to be, you know, all that fluff is only uh, mitigated by a dread of weather in the winter <laughs> months. <laughs> it's all evens out. <laughs> uh, totally. New York traffic, you know, you got great food, but you got to deal with people and traffic yeah. and stuff. It all evens out. Yeah. Upstate, oh. quiet, it's calm, but then you feel like you're the only person on the world, and it's yeah, you know, it's which I'm not like that. Yeah, I'm not that. I, I like alone time in the studio, and then, th- but there are many days, especially if I'm in like crunch time for a deadline. I mean, I'll just be in there every day and my husband will be the only other person that I see. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so I like then when I have opportunities and chances to go out and see people, but kind of very limited. Um, right. I'm not nearly the social creature I was when I was in my twenties, you know, that sort of has left my system. And now like, you know, I'll go to openings or I'll grab like drinks with a couple of friends that when I can get out of the studio um, or go see music, but um, pretty much everything is, you know, um, circulates around the studio practice. Yeah. And we're kind of built to be okay. Just being in the studio, like being by yourself, just making stuff. Oh yeah. Oh, We all kind of, but not all, a lot of us kind of secretly abide by that t-shirt that says like, I like coffee and around three people. (laughs) I think like I have that, to get that. I have to get that T-shirt, that the tote bag, the hat. The- right. Yeah. It's, it kind of works. Yeah. It's a few people, some coffee, good to go. Yeah, definitely. Um, so when did, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no. So go ahead. Say, I'm on a leave of absence from teaching this semester too. So normally, that's my one day out to like. Oh yeah. To really be submerged, you know, and talk with students and other faculty. So I think I'm especially feeling it this semester, yeah. the sort of isolation, um, a little bit more than normal. Well, nothing seems that like making a new friend over zoom, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is great. This is the most I've talked to someone in three months. <laughs> and you don't have to really deal with me. Um, so when, when did your work sort sort of meld into like what it is today, you know, like how did you go from that stiff figurative early stuff to, and, and I believe if what I read is correct that, you know, you kind of like invent this stuff on the fly. You're not. With the way I work now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think, um, once my MFA show was up, 
we had an early hang for our MFA show because it was uh, an accreditation year. So um, I had like a month left of grad school with like no eyes on me or no pressure. You oh, know, yeah. the MFA show was Free done. Rain. And I had this, and I was only painting really big and I had this really little canvas and I was like, okay, I'm going to close my curtain and I'm just going to see what happens if I just start painting on it no preconceived anything, no source material, and let's just see what happens. Um, and the painting wasn't good, but I survived. <laughs> and so um, I sort of, I, I felt like I needed to do something like that, something totally different, but not under the pressure of, you know, having it be for an MFA show or a studio visit with an advisor. Um, and I think I was able to take that with me out of school. And so I, after school, I got a studio, a really little, like 88 square foot space um, that I shared oh, with. That's tight squeeze. Yeah. It was a, well, it was like a 200 square foot space that my studio mate and I subdivided. Rented. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You were and, uh, preparing for New York, maybe passively, <laughs> unconsciously. <laughs> Pretty much. I know it's like they give grad students these beautiful studios and they all, you know, I feel like there's competition over the night, the biggest one. It's like, y'all don't even know. Oh yeah. And then they <laughs> yoinked that out of like yeah. right afterwards. They're like, oh shoot. You know? Yeah. yeah. And go for the smallest one. It will better prepare you for right. life after. Right. right. So, um, so I spent, that was 2013. I probably spent the next three or four years balancing between teaching essentially full-time because I was teaching at SAIC. I started teaching SAIC right after I graduated in the uh, How was that? Is that hard to do? I mean, I, I, you know, I baked in the oven in the art biz for a while. <laughs> you know, I did it for a while before I started teaching. I can't imagine teaching right out of school. Well, it was sort of like the, the mental strangeness of it was one semester ago, I was on a crit panel being critiqued, you know, like that's, there were damn, things that's I was I mean. doing wrong. And right. then all of a sudden I'm supposed to be on the other side of that. Um, that was a really sort of <laughs> tough thing. Like, it's like that piece of paper they gave you. Now I'm ready. <laughs> now I know. I'm now on I this know. side now. Yeah, yeah. Problems solved. Right. So, um, so mentally that was really strange. When it came to like, you know, um, being on like grad panels and things like that. But when I, when I first started teaching, I was teaching more like, um, intro to painting or okay. drawing or intro to figure painting. And these were things I just felt really confident in being able to teach because they were things I felt pretty strongly about how to, how to go about doing them. I'm pretty yeah. old school as a, as a figure drawing and figure painting teacher, like anatomy, light form, proper color mixing temperature, you know, um, in, in those classes, I teach pretty academically. Cause yeah. I mean, that's how I learned. And it, it's because I had that background and that knowledge that I feel like I can sort of break rules now and invent and pull from that, you know? So I want students to have the confidence to be able to do that, you know, when they want to make work that's more singular. So um, I started by doing that and, but I was also teaching a full load at the Chicago high school for the arts, um, which I was way in over my, <laughs> you were busy. 
I was. So I would paint, I would get up really early and paint in the morning. And then I would teach from like one to four at the high school and then six to nine at SAIC. It was, it was a full, but I, I had to keep, I mean, you know, I knew that if I stopped painting, I was just going to stop painting. So it was helpful that I was paying for a studio and I was super broke. Um, and so I felt like I had to make use of that studio. Um, and I was doing that and just kind of making some experimental paintings. I mean, I wasn't getting, I wasn't inviting anyone in for studio visits or anything. I was just sort of like, what happens if I try this? What happens if I, you know, um, and I, and I wasn't, you know, invited into any group shows. I was really kind of just on my own. And then I made a decision in like, oh God, I don't even know what year now, maybe like spring 2016 that um, if I really wanted to give this a, a shot, I have to drop one of my teaching jobs. Like I have to take the risk um and right, so the, I, the two hour morning session wasn't doing it, it was you're probably so exhausted by the time you're done with all that and you know even to this day i cannot have anything else planned on a day i'm in studio oh really <laughs> it's really tough when you're like under a deadline and you're there seven days so it's like when are you yeah you're when just do you do anything there. else um so I, um, yeah, but even now it's like, if I need to make a doctor's appointment or get a haircut or something, it's like, I can't, Ruins it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I need to like smush them all into one day. So it doesn't affect, um, I can't be in there with a timer, you know, right. knowing you're that like, I am. You're like, doc, I, we got to wrap this up. I have a haircut appointment <laughs> in like 20 minutes. Come on. <laughs> I'm painting tomorrow. <laughs> I could check my own reflexes at home. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. That's a, that's a brush. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so I, I decided to leave the high school for the arts, um, and stay at SAIC. And that was really, uh, it was, it was a very tough time financially for us because I, um, you know, was just pulling in, I was teaching, I was adjuncting and I was a lecturer actually. And I was only teaching like two or three classes a week. Um, and my husband was freelancing at the time. He wasn't at the job he's at now. And so it was, it was rough, but I was at the studio all the time. And but Chicago, not well. Maybe it is. I don't really know. Is it super expensive rent wise, or can you still get a deal there? Yeah, I mean everything is like relative. Relative, right? right, right, right. In comparison to New York, of course, it was much cheaper. Yeah, it's not Clinton Hill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. And so we, um, you know, we were, we were getting by, we were making it work and I was getting a lot of studio time in. And I would say maybe around 2017, I started, I moved into my own studio. Um, our studio building got bought and we all got sort of kicked out. And so um, I moved into a transitional studio and I was all on, on my own there. I didn't have a studio mate. And I started making paintings of things I could do if I fail as a painter, um, as a way of sort of <laughs> coping and dealing with, oh shit, this actually might, there's a good chance this is not going to happen. Um, and I felt like I really needed to kind of make work about it to bring some like levity and humor to that very scary possibility. And then ironically enough, those are the paintings that um, got me my first, you know, 
real. I had maybe done a couple of little group shows. There's a, a you know, Roots and Culture and Julius Caesar, um, you know, uh, smaller artist run galleries here, but uh, it was that work that got me my first show at Corbett versus Dempsey. Yeah, which is, and so that kind of put you on the map. Like that was where people started to really see the work. Yeah, that was, it was a two person show um, in 2018. I showed paintings and uh, there were sculptures by Betsy Odom, who's a phenomenal sculptor in Chicago. Um, and then I, shortly after that, um, I did a, that opened in September. And then in November, I did a two person show uh, with Justin Liam O'Brien at a Manya Row in uh, New York. That's back to back. I mean, yeah. And then uh, I did a show. I had my first solo show with Robert's Projects in LA um, shortly after that. And it's that all seemed to happen quick, though. It's like <laughs> you went from, I mean, did, you, did those people see your first show? Is that how they found out about you? I, I think, you know, it's really interesting. I, I've sort of, at least this has been my experience where, you know, you get to the point where you start showing things somewhere and then someone else, I mean, all of my experiences, all of my experiences exhibiting and with galleries have really been because I saw your work here. Oh yeah. Here. That's how it happens. Right. Yeah. And so um, once it's out there and easily, you know, accessible either through Instagram or a fair, um, you know, it kind of gets seen and then someone curates you, well, let's try you in a group show. And then um, I started working with Josh Lilly um, because I think Josh saw work that John and Jim brought to Miami, you know, so I, and then. You just uh, caught fire with all that stuff. going. You know, fun fact, Justin also didn't go to school. Like he did concept art painting when he I first. I totally can it. see that. Yeah. He's yeah. great. Yeah, he's really talented. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then all, so I guess leaving the high school job felt like justified, like you needed that time. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was. Is it that was, why you stayed in Chicago? Because things just got busy? Because you were saying that initially you were thinking to, to bolt, but. Yeah, I think, you know, it's like life just, <laughs> it's such a dumb thing to say, but, you know, it's like I got a teaching job at a college and I, I was through a fellowship, SAC was doing teaching fellowships and I knew how competitive college teaching positions yeah. were. Um, so I was like, okay, I got this teaching gig. Okay. And then my husband got a job at where he is currently at the Chicago Architecture Center. And then it was sort of like, okay, let's just see how this, how we can ride this out. And um, then all of a sudden, you know, I- 30 started, years goes by. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'm a Chicagoer. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Which still feels so weird to think of myself as a Midwesterner because at my core, I'm, I'm not. And I don't even, you know, being a Midwesterner, I'm not even sure what that even really means. But uh, aside from just- uh, It's not New Jersey, that's <laughs> for sure. There's a, I mean, I get students from- you know, from teaching in Pennsylvania. And then if I get a New Yorker, New Jersey student, different, yeah. different sensibility. Yeah. There's a different kind of like, yeah, it's just, it's not the same, you know? That was like when I, first time I showed in LA and I went out there, you know, there's the, I mean, it's a like, tired stereotype, but they were just way more chill out there. Like things weren't so, especially in the art world context, it wasn't sure. quite so, you know, New York intense, you know? It was just like, kind of like, yeah, you know? Which makes sense. Oh, you sure. Know, with that weather, I think I'd chill out a little bit. 
Yeah, me too. Although, no, I would be like such a malcontent out in LA. I, it would be too, the weather would be too nice for me. I love oh, yeah. it, but I love visiting LA. Right, um, right. Not someone who could live there. I would, yeah, I, I need a little bit more misery than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and I, I think I, there is a certain intensity. I'm a, I'm a pretty intense person, um, I think, in like everything that I do. Um, and I think that's, you know, maybe in the, in the way I approach my studio practice, but it's also sort of just in, I've mellowed, Chicago has mellowed me for sure, which is great. And I think my husband's also very appreciative of that. But, you know, it's even in like other things that I do with my time. It's like, I love cooking, but I can't, I mean, cooking is like probably my other favorite thing to do, but it's like, I can't just, you know, throw things in a pot and see what happens. I oh, it's gotta be a thing. No, it's got to be like a 40 step recipe. Oh boy. Right? And <laughs> I got to find this one ingredient that I only have to special, you know, it's like, there's an intent. I, I, I work out a lot and you know, it's like my husband just goes for runs and he's like, why don't you just come for a run? It's like, no, I need no, to go to my 94 degree burn class that then I can't move for the rest of the day. Right. <laughs> so, then you feel like you've earned it. Right. Yeah. yeah I do so, that stuff too. I've totally. got I've got that regiment where yeah. Although I am starting to get as I barrel down here on fifty, I the warmer weather, I'm starting to feel like, yeah, I could do this. You know, when we go on a trip somewhere warm, like I think I could probably transition to not dealing with cold. Although I do love hot coffee and cold weather is really nice. But it is. And it, it hasn't been as bad. I don't maybe something's going on with the world. I don't know, but it hasn't been quite as cold as it used to. Yeah, I, I wonder what going, yeah. Yeah, it's weird but i remember growing up being a kid and like playing in bl it would be like, like blizzard after blizzard of like a foot of snow you know jumping off the porch into the snow banks but i feel like it hasn't been that severe which lessens the blow i i'm just i'm what i'm saying is i'm getting older because i talk about the weather a lot which is really <laughs> annoying <laughs> <laughs> wow, you don't look like you're pushing fifty at all. I know this is an audio thing. A Zoom filter. But, uh, I have a. I downloaded a special app to my Zoom that's for like folks nearing fifty. It just like puts a patina. Of, yeah, yeah. It just irons out all the wrinkles and and bags under the eyes from driving <laughs> in Pennsylvania. <laughs> you tapped into that Scorsese technology. <laughs> yeah, you need it. You know those those late night. Poconos drives after class oh, all day. God. You know what I mean? Yeah. And pulling up through Jersey and Route 80. Whew. It, it, yeah, it can, can test your metal. So, but no, I'm not complaining. I love it. Um, so uh the the one thing that I didn't really get to that I'd like to is like music. What was the music like growing up? Was it all Frank Sinatra? And what <laughs> yes, yes. I mean <laughs> <In> uh, short. <laughs> and then you know, do you go out to see, I mean, Chicago's music heaven. Yeah. Do you go out to see some live music occasionally? I mean, I live in New York and I never get out to see music anymore, which is depressing, but it's out there. I mean, and then in the studio yeah. music? What's um, music, you know, I, in studio, it's, it's, I have every intention always of listening to music. And what happens is I'll be so excited, like, oh, the new Mitski is out. The new Wise Blood is out. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm so excited to listen to it. And then I'll be like two tracks in and then phew, it's just there in the background. And oh, I'm, right. You can't engage you know, in it. I'm like the worst, like I am who musicians don't want listening to their music. Because <laughs> just like, all right. Background music. 
Can, you've been blackballed on Spotify. They're like, not, the, no, just don't let her listen to it. What about like workouts, though? You probably listen to music when you work out, right? Um, well, or are started, you in classes where they I'm, play I'm, stuff? I'm doing the more class-oriented thing now, which is helpful for me because it's a way for me to, like, be around other bodies and humans. <laughs> Sounds so <laughs> grim. <laughs> I see other humans when I go to the gym, which is yeah. really refreshing. Yeah, yes, it is. Because I was streaming and I was like, wow, everything I do, I do solitary. So yeah, I should probably start doing these classes in person. So um, no, we we actually go see, I mean, I, I do listen to music in studio and I'm always like challenging my my friends and husband to like make like obscenely long playlists for yeah, me. Yeah. eight hour playlists so that I could just like, cause I'm usually in there anywhere from like seven to 10 hours. And so um, it's like, shit gets tiring in terms of music listening, you know, it's like in this. Well, you know, they do have a radio button. You could just yeah. <laughs> Spotify <laughs> <Sure>. radio. <laughs> but it floats in and out of my consciousness. So, much, you know, it's yeah. like, I, my husband will make a playlist for me and be like, did you listen to the playlist I made? And I'll be like, I actually think I listened to it like seven times. You're like, and it was on. Yeah. Did I, I listen to it? So, you know, and so all, and, and I, my music tastes are pretty much, uh, you know, spread out. I'll, I feel like it has to be when you're in there that long, like it would be boring yeah. to listen to the same stuff over and over again. So, You'd be you know. surprised at how many artists I talk to who listen to one track on loop because of that same phenomenon of where they want to get lost. They want it to become like a texture, a, a sort of sonic texture in the studio. You know what I mean? Yeah. I never understood that, but lately once in a while I'll, I'll do that where I'll just, and I think it has something to do with the fact that like every other aspect of my life, there's like 4 million emails and like 4,000 things to do. So if I'm in a studio and there's like one track on, on repeat for a while, I can get into that flow state. Okay, but what track do you pick then? Uh, it's usually music that is a little trancey in a way. Oh, like there's okay. a musician who, from your neck of the woods, who I've had on this podcast, his name's Sam Prekop, and he's an, a lead singer okay. of a band called Sea and Cake, but he does his own solo stuff. And a lot of that solo stuff is really kind of like melodically ambient and repetitive in a way that's really nice in the studio. Or, yeah. you know... It could be not the, I mean, Steve, Steve Reich or like Philip Glass, things like that, that yeah. all like electronic stuff that's very like ambient and sort of re repetitive can be kind of like hypnotic or like ragas or like, you know, like Zakir Hussein, where it's like percussive stuff that just loops or like Philip. Like sort of, yeah. Yeah. Stuff like, where you get in a rhythm, you know? Um, my husband is a really big like jazz head. And he, nice. Um, and, and there's such a great, scene here and so many great people and oh yeah it's i feel amazing. like that's lately something i've been bringing into the studio much more because it tends to be something that i can just sort of have on and zoom i, I don't know there's something really sort of magical about having something that i don't feel that i mean you know jazz should be paid attention to and you know but i and, I, and we go see it live and i have a very different kind of attention to it when i'm live than of course yeah yeah um, but that's been something that I've been sort of, um, trying to get into a little bit more in the studio. Yeah. It's nice in the studio. Yeah, I mean, as a jazz DJ in a college. So. Oh, know, that's awesome. I went deep on it, but I went, I've gone so deep on it and read so much, you know, I've studied it so much that now I can just listen to it as like a sort of passive listener, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes I'll like, 
I don't know if I go down like a weird nineties alt rock hole one day, you know, Sure. yeah. Yeah. It's always interesting to then see how that could have an effect on the painting. It's like, wait, all of a sudden now my figure has Doc Martens on. You know? <laughs> the flannel shirt. Yeah. There's a flannel shirt around my figure's waist today. Um, <laughs> or like, you know, I'll go down like a robin hole and, you know, it'll there's like glitter eyeshadow on, you know. So oh, it's yeah, kind yeah. Of, um, interesting how I can sort of let that playfulness get into the work a little yeah. bit. Um, you know, because when you're in there that long, you need something to sort of make you laugh and entertain yourself while you're Definitely. making these. I mean, because the way I work is everything is sort of active decision making, you right. know, as, as it's happening. And so, um, which can, you know, be a little like headache inducing and head banging against the wall. Yeah, it's a lot of work in that sense. Um, and, you know, and I, 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 I mean, I don't know. Well, I guess I know what working differently is because I used to work so strictly from photography and almost pretty much like grid canvases to make sure yeah. it's so exact. And that's a lot of, you know, for artists who work that way, that's a lot of work too. It's just, I think maybe a different kind of like part of the brain. Definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's sort of nice to have like those moments where, okay, I just made all these decisions. Oh, I can exhale. And now I can sort of like inject a little bit of humor or whimsy yeah. into what I'm yeah. doing. Yeah, it opens that lane. I, I'm I took out the middleman recently because in my Pennsylvania studio I'm just painting portraits of musicians, which is really oh, fun because yeah. I, like I'll put on the musician that I'm painting on <laughs> while I'm painting them. Which is kind of I don't know, it's we it's it's like no other combination of environment and subject matter and yeah. you know, which and I'm always shocked at like, well, not always, but after I started doing it, I was like, you know, there's not a lot of artists who've painted musicians. Like there's yeah. not a ton. Yeah. Like I just went to, you know, Elizabeth Payton or like a few people who've just painted some musicians, but. But within a larger, you know, body of. Right. Know, body of work. Yeah, yeah. You would think that would have happened more often, maybe. Hmm. Well, now you, I mean, this is, this is a thing now. Uh, yeah, or thing that people will be like, why the hell is he painting, you know, that person? <laughs> <laughs> like, why is Jay Balvin on the wall? <laughs> Listen, people. Anyway, but it's fun, you know. Sometimes you just have to do what you you feel inclined to do. Oh, know? yeah. I mean, that's what it's all about in there, isn't it? It's like yeah. so much of what I feel like I do in my studio is so embarrassing. And I, I'll step back and I'll be like, oh, my, did I really just okay, all right, you know, and just kind of let it be. And that's, I, I don't know, I think feel like sometimes painting itself is kind of embarrassing. Like here world, here's, look at this thing that I made, you know, it's right. something sort of, especially really big paintings. Um, yeah, yeah. I always feel like there's a little bit of like, um, look at me, I, I, I need attention um, when I make something really big and there's a little bit of embarrassment in that but but i i mean i don't really think about that while i'm painting to be honest when i'm painting I'm just painting again instagram live you could just compound just fuel on the fire just, <laughs> just set it ablaze like how embarrassing i'm making this giant painting and i'm on instagram live and i want yeah. you to watch me do it 
Yep, and I don't have proper tools to get up this high, so you can watch me get up on. Watch me struggle. Yeah, watch me struggle and fall multiple times. And again, there's the jackass reference again. Yeah. Yes, I didn't. I I did not realize how many how many connections would be drawn. <laughs> to jackass. Well, it was part of our youth practice. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. It totally was. Yeah, I we didn't have cable growing up, so every time we would go to my grandma's for Sunday dinner every Sunday, and they had cable, and I would like sneak downstairs and watch Jackass and MTV. Oh and- my God, Graham! Sunday dinner with grandma, followed by Jackass. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's it, it was punk rock. It's basically, you know, there's something performative about that stuff. I mean, oh, it's it's you so know, it's, performative. It's it's horrible and awesome. It's just hilarious and it's terrible. And, you know, it's kind of like a train wreck, you know? Yeah. yeah. But it was a moment captured in time. Yeah. Um, oh, definitely. So you always seem busy. I mean, what do you have anything coming up? I do. I have a solo show opening this month, actually, at the end of the month with Josh Lilly, my uh, London gallery. Well, uh, what the hell are you doing talking to me? I, no, the paintings <laughs> are done. Paintings are done. Oh, th- oh, okay. Cool, cool. We're good. We're good. Sorry. I felt bad. <laughs> they though, get picked up um, Tuesday. Oh, yeah. in the studio right now nice. um, and they've and got a trip ahead of them they have, they have a trip um they have quite a trip and are you gonna go for the opening yeah we are yeah. nice it's nice uh, we can do that again we can I know. well you know my last opening there was fe- my last show with them was february 2020 and we flew there and back with no problem oh that was right that was when the shit hit the fan and yeah we got home and the show everything happened and the show had to sort of close prematurely so it'll be nice to um have another show there and josh recently expanded his space so i actually haven't seen it with the expansion i hope i made enough paintings um i like a sparse hang not that you yeah you're gonna do a sparse hang but no i do too. i like I some mean, space my work i feel like they need space from each other they have a sort of in, intensity about them that they require they don't play nice with others sometimes doesn't play nice with others needs a lot of space likes to be by (laughs) themselves they wear doc martens i see where this is going this is really interesting yes this is pretty revelatory (laughs) (laughs) uh just connecting the dots that's all we do here just connecting the dots Well, I'm excited to see that work. Um, yeah, and yeah, uh, for the next, uh, you don't know when you're going to have your next New York show, do you? I don't. I had one last May, and yeah. so it'll probably be a little while. Though there's always a chance, you know, um, I'll have an opportunity to put something in a fair or have something up uh, yeah, yeah. with Mary Ambrosky in like their viewing room or something. So Right. Well, I'll never show. I don't think it. Have I shown in Chicago ever? God, for how much there's time I spent there. Here. Yeah, I know. So, so my, so my friends who show there say, but yeah, I haven't really shown in Chicago, but I'd like to get out there at some point. I mean, it's yeah. been a long time, but it's a well, great town. Definitely come out. It's awesome. Lots of friends there. You go, know, like catch some jazz at the Whistler. Go to the Rainbow Room, like old yeah. times. You can pretend to be back in our twenties for a night. Oh my God! Is the here's a, sorry to ask an annoying question. Is the Fireside Bowl still operating? Okay, there have been many changes with bowling alley. 
I feel like they're always yeah. there though. It's a Chicago thing, which but I love. They don't do shows anymore. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, we played there. This, I mean, when I played at Fireside, that was a long time ago. Yeah, I don't think they do shows anymore. They're still like it's still super old school, and there's still a um a you know great bar there. But um no, I don't think I don't think there's a show like scene there anymore. Uh, yeah, that that show I remember one of the guys from Promise Ring was there. If that dates. Do you know the promise ring that band? I don't. I don't know who that is. Check them out. Okay. It's so emo in a good way. Um. Yeah. So you know, next time in New York, hit me up. Oh yeah, definitely. We'll do it. Was, it was great there. to meet you over Zoom. We yeah, have this convenient filter, so I look so young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like Jesus when you meet me in person. What the hell? Zoom does when a I great realized job. When I was going to be at 8 a.m., I was like, all right, I better freeze the cucumber overnight and start <laughs> rubbing. <laughs> the early morning pod. Yeah. Sorry about that. But thanks but for doing great. it. No, I'm up early usually. I'm a I'm a pretty early uh, studio person. So. Yeah, you seem like you've got it together. Are you a coffee person? Yeah, big time. I broke out the big mug this morning. Santa. Santa <laughs> yeah. That is a good, that is a appropriate sized mug for the podcast. This is the, um, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a parent, but I imagine this is like the, the mug that parents of children who celebrate Christmas oh, use on Christmas morning. Oh yeah. Yeah. We have the, we bring out the pot, like the thermos pot, <laughs> just keep going. <laughs> the big guy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You're just going to need a lot of it. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again. It's Thank great to you, meet Brian. you. Yeah, you as well. Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by checking out the website, soundvisionpodcast.com, images on Instagram at soundvisionpodcast. Find out more about my work at brianalfred.net or on Instagram at alfredstudio. We are currently updating the Sound and Vision Podcast YouTube page, which basically houses archived versions of the podcasts and some of the ones that you can't even find back in iTunes, some of the earlier ones. So if you can, go to at Sound and Vision Podcast on YouTube, subscribe, and they will show up in your feed. Share it with a friend if you can. You can also support the podcast by checking out the Why I Make Art book based on the podcast. Still available, still out there. And uh, many thanks to Celeste for taking the time to speak to me. Check out her work at Marion Boski at Josh Lilly. And she has an upcoming show there in London. So if you can't get over there, check out the website and check out her Instagram. Just, uh, you know, look up her name. Many thanks to Fulcrum Coffee for the sponsorship, Golden Artist Colors, New York Studio School. And as always, thank you to you. We have some great people coming up, so make sure you stay locked into that subscribe button on your podcast app so you can get the latest episodes every Thursday. Many thanks.